Uh, my name is Paul. It's uh, great to spend Sunday morning with you and uh, for all those watching online as well. I got a bunch of friends in Florida. They think it's a good, good, good to go to Florida in the winter. So uh, hi to all of you that are watching from Florida today. But I live in Noblesville and Noblesville has plenty of construction and development of their own that is always fascinating to me. But because I only make it over here once or twice a month, it's just always fun to come around this roundabout and to see how things have changed and things that are growing. Um, I love, as Jerry talked about, some of the updates we're doing around our Carmel campus right now. It, this room's great. It's fun to see what's happening out in the lobby. And uh, when it's all done, it's going to be even better. And so I love these developments, but I got to tell you what, I really, really love what God's doing through our church right now. And um, I have the privilege of seeing both sides from Noblesville to Carmel, uh, people like you, the growth that's taking place. Uh, even as we get started in this Acts series, just some of the anticipation of what could come from it all, how God's using our generosity and our relationships and really the family that we have as a church. And it's just so encouraging to see. And so I want to thank you for being a part of it. I want to thank you for the ways that you contribute and the ways that uh, you're praying about these things. And if you're new with us or you're somewhat new and wondering, you know, could this be my church, man, we'd love to tell you uh, more about it and help you in taking those next steps. And even today to encourage you to think about what is your next step step, to find a way, a place to serve. It's a great way to meet people. Uh, get involved with one, with one of our connection groups, something like the Alpha group that's starting. You know, again, it's a great way to meet people. It's a great way to grow together. And so if we can help you at all in that, uh, please let us know. All right. Let me, uh, let me pray as we get started, as we continue this morning. Father in heaven, we do thank you for what you're doing through Genesis right now. It's fun to be a part of your church here and your church family. Thanks for all of the ways students and men and women uh, are contributing uh, to this place. And most importantly, your Holy Spirit, Lord, that's growing us and deepening us in our faith. And we are excited. We, we're excited for this year, how you're using this study through the book of Acts to stretch our minds, to help us see and understand the work that you have called us to in the world, the difference that we can make with our lives as we lean on you, and as mo most importantly, as we understand the gospel message for our lives and what that means for us, uh, but what it means to share that through our actions and through our words uh, with the people that you have called us to. And so you have your way, ha have your way in our lives and in our church family, and certainly in this time today, Lord, would you guide me in, in my words, and uh, would you just speak loud and clear to us, and I pray that we'd respond obediently. Immediately. And it's in the name of Jesus that we pray. Uh, amen. Well, I know that it's almost March, which means that Christmas is well behind us. But as I was getting ready uh, for our time together today, um, I was reminded of one of the best Christmas gifts that I have ever received before, uh, one that I enjoy so much. And I know that I'm putting my personality out there on the line a little bit with some of you, but I brought a couple of examples of these today, and it's these wood hangers, believe it or not. Yes, uh, some years ago, my mother-in-law bought me a couple of boxes of wood hangers, and I'm not going to lie, I love them. I do. I, I, I really appreciate uh, the value of these wood hangers. And, and again, I asked for them, all right? And so it wasn't a surprise either. But I'll tell you what I love about them. I love the way that my shirts and pants hang on them, nice and neat. Uh, you know, my, my clothes don't fall off. They don't sag. Uh, uh, they keep, they help prevent the wrinkles. I, I love when I step into my closet, just how orderly all of these hangers look with the shirts 
hanging on them. I had a person catch me after the first service and say, have you done the Enneagram before? Which is just always an interesting question, you know, like, yeah, I have. And she goes, I bet you're a one. And which I never know how to take, like, you know, because I think I'm a two actually, but like, what do you mean by that? You know, you, you bet I'm a one, but I, I really have enjoyed these, uh, these hangers. And again, because I don't have a lot of control over different parts of my life and my home and all that, but my closet, my portion of the closet, it's all my own, right? And, and I can keep things the way that I like them. And you may think I'm crazy, but I think you would notice this about yourself, that we all have those things as we get older and as we mature, those things that we appreciate. Like, like as a kid, if you were to receive socks or underwear or wooden hangers, you know, for Christmas, you'd be like, lame, boring, you know, or whatever. But as you get older, like you, you appreciate some of that good stuff, you know, especially if it's exactly what you need, but it's not just gifts. Like, have you noticed how our preferences change as you mature? Because moms and dads, I mean, if you've got a kid and they get a little cranky this afternoon, like there's a chance that you might send them to their room and say, you don't have a choice. You're taking a nap today. By a show of hands, how many of you would love to be sent to your room this afternoon for a nap, right? All of us, many of us, we'd love the chance at that nap because as we mature, as we get older, the things we ask for change. Do you know something? I, I think that it ought to be the same way with our prayers too, that as we begin to understand more and more our relationship with the Lord, as we see more and more the things that he has called us to in this world and how he desires for us to live our lives, as we grow, as we mature, like the things we pray to God, the things that we ask for should change. They, they should develop. They should become uh, less me-focused uh, and more others-focused. They become less self-minded and even more kingdom-minded. And we're going to see a great example of that today uh, in Acts chapter 4. If you've got a Bible and you want to turn there with us, uh, if you use something like the Uversion app on your phone, go ahead and turn to Acts chapter 4. We'll also put the words uh, up on the screen. We're in the fourth week of a year-long series that we're calling Sent. In Matthew 28, Jesus said to go into all the world and make disciples of all nations. And then in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, just before Jesus ascended into heaven, uh, he said, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on, your, on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. More than once, Jesus said, as my followers, I will send you out. Out. I am going to send you out into this world. I just want you to think about the intentionality and the promise of those words. Jesus said, go and make disciples. He says, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on your life. You will be my witnesses. I am sending you. And so the book of Acts is a history book. It's a picture of followers of Jesus doing exactly what Jesus commanded them to do. And as we study through the book of Acts this year, it's my prayer and maybe a prayer that many of you are praying with us that we will do the same, that we will listen to the words of Jesus, that we will obey his words and commands, and that we're going to let him do something very special in our lives, that he might do something great and spectacular through our church family as well. And so last week, we read about two of Jesus' disciples, Peter and John, and how they were on their way to the temple to pray. And they came across this man, as Luke describes in Acts chapter 3, a man who had been crippled since birth, meaning he'd never taken a step on his own in his life. And if you remember, this man 
man was seated at the temple gates begging for money, and then Peter and John noticed him, and through the power of the Holy Spirit working in them, because the Holy Spirit will give us an awareness to the people that he's put around our lives, not only did these men extend physical healing by the power of the Holy Spirit to this man, but the man was healed spiritually as well. And wouldn't you know it, this man who had never walked a day in his life, as Luke records, jumped to his feet. He's going to make a huge scene here in the temple courts. A whole bunch of people are going to take notice. And this crowd then is going to begin to gather. They're going to come closer because they want to see this miracle for themselves. Here's an opportunity. And the apostle Peter is going to seize upon it. He's going to boldly step forward to explain to the people, here's what's happened. All right. Here's how it's taken place and by which power and who's ultimately responsible for the miracle. And Peter is going to tell them, the crowd, the story of Jesus. He's got a little three-circle illustration, if you would, of his own, as Jerry described for us last week. Well, the news of the miracle, the crowd and Peter's message spread quickly, and the religious leaders in the temple were especially bothered by the commotion, and that's where we pick it up in Acts chapter 4. Let's look at verse 1 together as Luke writes, and we read, the priests and the captain of the temple guard and the Sadducees came to Peter and John while they were speaking to the people. They were greatly disturbed because the apostles were teaching the people, proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection of the dead. They seized Peter and John, and because it was evening, they put them in jail until the next day, but many who heard the message believed, so the number of men who believed grew to about 5,000. Now, the, the Jewish leaders, as Luke describes here, are also known as the Sanhedrin, and the Sanhedrin was made up of two primary groups of people, the Sadducees, and the Pharisees. Now, not exactly like Republicans and Democrats, but similar enough that I think you get the point. Well, while Rome ruled Israel and most of the part of this world at this time, the Sanhedrin, the Jewish Sanhedrin was permitted to exercise authority in the affairs regarding the Jewish people, especially in and around the temple. And having just dealt with Jesus in the last couple of months, this group hears about the commotion that's taking place in the temple. They seize Peter and John, as Luke writes, and they throw them into jail for the evening. But they've got one problem, as we read in verse 4. They might be able to slow down the messengers, but there's no way they're going to slow down the gospel message, the good news of Jesus Christ. That's still advancing. And if you remember, all right, from Pentecost, Acts chapter 2, 3,000 people surrendered their lives to Jesus. But now, as Luke writes here in Acts 4, now 2,000 men, which means most likely also their families and the women around them. That means in a matter of a few days, the church has grown from 120 people, Acts chapter 1, all right, to 5,000 men and women and children, all right, or, you know, to, 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 to ultimately 5,000 men and women and children as we see here in Acts chapter 4. That's just some crazy growth, but, but that's what the Holy Spirit and what the good news of Jesus Christ is capable of doing. Well, by Acts 4 verse 5, Peter and John are brought out of jail and they're forced to stand before an irritated and uneasy Sanhedrin. And remember, these are the men that were responsible for the crucifixion of Jesus. And so you didn't mess with these guys. Let's pick it up in verse 7. We read, they had Peter and John brought before them and began to question them, by what power or name did you do this? Basically, somebody shouts out, like, why, why are you two doing these things? 
Like, why are you spreading this news and this message? Who gave you this right? And look at Peter's response, picking it up in verse 8. We read, then Peter filled with the Holy Spirit, all right? And that's just a phrase that we're gonna see over and over again as we study through the book of Acts, that these men and women whose lives had been changed forever by the power, by the resurrection, by faith and belief in Jesus Christ are now filled with the Holy Spirit, all right? He said to them, rulers and elders of the people, if we are being called to, to account today for an act of kindness shown to a man who was lame and are being asked how he was healed, then know this, you and all the people of Israel, he says, it is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, but God raised from the dead that this man stands before you healed. Jesus is the stone you builders rejected that has become the cornerstone. And so Peter reviews the events and the story of the life of Jesus, but then it gets a little personal and a little uncomfortable in the room as Peter explains, you did this. You are responsible for the death of Jesus. And then one final statement, I think a statement that certainly got under their skin and honestly might challenge some of you today that are listening as well. Because in Acts chapter 4 verse 12, Peter proclaims, salvation is found in no one else for there is no other name under heaven to mankind, or excuse me, under, under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. And I don't think I need to tell any of you, especially in 2023, how words like these can cause many to stand in opposition to Christianity and to the church today. And because of this tension, unfortunately, and we're seeing this more and more, some churches and Christians have been willing to compromise on this incredibly important truth for the sake of keeping peace with others. And I don't know how you see it today. I don't know your experience, your faith system, or your spiritual journey. But I would just say this. Just because a truth like this is uncomfortable, just because a truth like this might be perceived as controversial by others, doesn't mean that it's not true or narrow in an unloving sort of way. Consider this. Just imagine for a moment that you are trapped in a burning building, all right? And at just the right moment, at just the nick of time, a, a first responder rushes in to exactly where you were and they get your attention and they say, follow me, there's one way out of the building. How many of us in that given moment are going to say, wait a second, time out, that sounds a little narrow-minded, a little unloving that you would suggest that there is only one way out of this burning building? Or maybe it would help to look at a statement like Peter's this way. Instead of reacting to the statement, salvation is found in no one else, how about we thank God that salvation is available at all? Like, what, what a gift. Like, is there any better news? Is there any more important news for any of us and for this world that there is a way through, that in Jesus Christ, there is a way to be saved? That's what Peter knew. He saw the resurrected Jesus with his own eyes. He experienced God's forgiveness and salvation for himself. And so instead of toning down his message, he let his passion and his love for Jesus. I would say he let his passion and love for others and the power of the Holy Spirit influence his life 
life and the message that he was willing to proclaim. You could say that Peter had the courage to speak out and to speak up. And that courage forced the Sanhedrin into a difficult position because while they refused to believe Peter's message, they couldn't deny the fact that a formerly lame man is now walking. They got to deal with that. Verse 13 Luke writes, when they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished and they took note that these men had been with Jesus. But since they could see the man who had been healed standing there with them, there was nothing they could say. I love that phrase. Uh, maybe you'd consider writing it down or underlining it in your own Bible. I'd say, go ahead and put it on my tombstone. You know, an unschooled, ordinary man that has been with Jesus. Like, wouldn't you love for people to say that about your life? That there's just something about the way you live. There's something about the way you interact with others. There's something about the way you manage your staff. There's something about the way uh, you extend generosity and compassion and warmth. Like, wouldn't you love, I, and as a parent, we'd, lo we'd love to hear people say that about our kids. I think there's, like, I, I can tell they've been with Jesus. I, I can tell they have been influenced by the person of Jesus. They just look an awful lot like Jesus. And that's what being sent by Jesus is all about. Like that, that really is the heartbeat of this series, that our motivation, our desire, my prayer, your prayer, our desire ought to be that we are people sent by Jesus, that we model Jesus in the way that we work and the way that we interact with others, that we model Jesus at our schools and the people that we're around that we spend time with, that you model Jesus on your team and, and with your friends and in all of your conversations. Because it's, it's not just about charisma, it's not just about talent and, and knowledge, it's coming to terms with the fact that as a follower of Jesus Christ, you and I have the same spirit in us that Peter and John had in them in Acts chapter 4, the, the same Holy Spirit that raised Jesus Christ from the dead is in you if you put your faith and trust in the Lord. And he is capable of doing the same things in you that we're going to see him doing in men and women all through this book. And so even though they didn't like it, like the Sanhedrin could see there was something about Peter and John. And, and they've also got this man running around with brand new legs, all right, they've got to deal with. And so they conferred together what to do next. Verse 18 says, Then they called them in again and commanded Peter and John not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John replied, Which is right in God's eyes, to listen to you or to listen to him? You be the judges. As for us, Peter says, we cannot help speaking about what we have seen and heard. In Genesis, this is so good and this is so important that we're reminded that people and even people that God has put in your life may not always choose to see things the way you see things or to see your story the way you see it. But you know what? They can't deny what God's doing in your life and they can't deny your story and they can't deny how Jesus is changing your life. And so don't hesitate to tell your story. Like, don't be afraid to talk about the things that Jesus is doing in you and through you. Don't, don't be ashamed to talk about what he has freed you from and, and the life that you're trying to live and how he's influencing all of your actions. Like, your Jesus story is proof of the remarkable work Jesus has and is doing in your life. And you know what? It has the potential of changing other lives, too. Peter would later say, and I love these words from 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 15. He says, but in your hearts, revere Christ as 
Lord, meaning he drives, all right? He's in the driver's seat. He's our leader. He is our model and our influencer. He says, always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have, but do this with gentleness and respect. I mean, don't be stupid, all right? We need to pray and ask the Lord to give us gentleness and respect, but always be prepared. Always be ready to talk about the hope that you have. Let others see Jesus in your words and in your actions and in the way you do the things that you do. The Sanhedrin warned Peter and John, all right, and then set them free. These two, if you continue reading, are going to go back to their group, people like Mary and James and Andrew and all the other disciples. And once they're back with them, as we read, everybody kind of sighs in relief, all right, as they were all worried that Peter and John would be killed much as Jesus was killed. And so they're relieved and they, as we read, decide to pray. Now, this is where I want to stop for just a moment and go off on a little track, but there's a point to all of it and talk about what our prayers are like. Uh, the things that we pray for. In fact, I want, I, want to, I want to challenge you to think about the way that you pray, or at least to add a prayer, if you would, to the things that you pray. Because I, I, I believe that the way we pray says a lot about our faith. It says a lot about how we think about God and see God and what He's doing in us. And, and it says a lot about what He's doing in our lives. And, and because you're the church, all right, because the church is made up of people, the way you pray says a lot about how our church prays. It says a lot about what you're focused on and what we're focused on. And as we mature, ultimately, the things that we pray for should change. But before we do that, let, let's talk about this for a second. Answer this. Is it true, I think this would be true of most Christians, uh, that we pray there's a tendency, there's a habit we can fall into where we pray the same things over and over again, if we're not careful, all right? If we, if we don't take the time to think about it. And I'll, I'll go first. I'm a little embarrassed to say it, but this is true of me. Like, I couldn't count the times. I have fired off a quick tweetable prayer, you know, really without thinking about it. Something that's like, you know, God, I thank you for this day. I thank you for my family. I ask that you would be with me, help grandpa to get out of the hospital as soon as possible. Amen. Right. You know, the, to pray something like that. Am I, am I right? Anybody with me? I mean, if we're not careful at dinner time and some of our regular prayers, like, like they can become very predictable. They can become these repetitious statements. And, and so they, they kind of reflect a very me centered attitude. I'm just saying I'm guilty. Okay, I do that. But hear me on this. I'm not suggesting at the same time that we stop praying for these types of things that are a part of our daily lives, you know, that because God cares about these things too. I mean, because he's relational, because he's a loving, intimate God, like he loves to hear our prayers. He wants to know what's on your heart and what's on your mind. And so, but let me ask you this, like suppose for just a moment that God answered every prayer you've prayed in the last year. Like if God answered every prayer you have prayed in the last year, who would benefit most? Like if, it, if it's me, it, it's me. Like I would be the one who would benefit the most. Like chances are that you would be the one that would benefit the most. Like typically our prayers, they're me focused. They're, they're very self-centered. And again, I'm not saying that you should quit praying for these things because I'm not going to, all right? I've got these index cards that I keep that I have very specific prayer requests written on. I pray them almost daily. I'm going to pray them all the way until my days here on this earth ends or until Jesus comes back or until he answers these prayers for me. And so if you've got issues that are troubling to you, if you've got things that you struggle with, things that are bothering you, you should pray them too. But what I'm saying is this, that if our prayers are only me focused, 
then it won't take long before we become very self-centered and too many self-centered Christians eventually give way to self-centered churches and self-centered churches aren't really good at being sent churches. And we don't want that. I know you don't want that. I believe that you and all of us, like we want, we want Jesus to do something. We want to, we want to see him do more for his kingdom and through our church. And, and so if we keep our eyes fixed on Jesus, if we'll allow God to grow us in our faith, like there's no limiting what God might do in your life and in your family and through our church. So pretend for a second. Let's suppose, you know, here Acts chapter four, it's us, all right? The American church, Peter and John, they were in jail. They have been returned to us. Uh, we think they, they're dead, but they're not, they're back. Uh, and so again, we're pretending here, if it's the American church, American Christians, what we, would we do? We'd probably establish some ground rules, right? We'd probably say, you know what? Peter and John don't get to travel together anymore. Too dangerous. We can't afford to lose both of them. So separate cars, separate airplanes, you know, you got you to go in two different groups because we don't want to lose the both of you. Or maybe we do this. Maybe we'd look at the message we've been communicating and sharing and preaching and we'd give some thought to how to slow down the growth a little bit. Okay. I mean, can't you hear somebody say it's, Hey, it seems like we're preaching a lot about grace and forgiveness and salvation these days. And so can't you hear somebody saying, you know, let's change the message up a little bit. All right. Because we're bringing too many people in. We had 2000 people show up again last Sunday. We don't have the parking lot space for it. We don't have the gen kids workers to accommodate for all those kids. All right. We're running out of room. We got too many people coming. So we need to run some people off. So, Hey, why don't you guys preach on money for a little bit? Let's do a long money series you know, for a year. Let's run some people off if we can. Let's change the message. No. But before we set those ground rules, what would we pray? We'd probably pray something like this. God, protect us. You know, stop the threats. Keep us safe. Put a hedge of protection around us. Whatever that means. Whatever the hedge thing, you know, means or whatever. We'd pray for protection. But I want to show you, here's the point. I want to show you what Peter and John and the first church prayed for. And I think this is the kind of prayer God honors. And to be honest, I think this is one of the main reasons why the gospel of Jesus ever made it out of the first century. Here's their prayer. Verse 29. They prayed, now, Lord, consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. Stop there for a second. Isn't boldness what has gotten them in trouble? Like, it appears to me from what we've just read so far, they're doing okay on the boldness stuff. They got people going in and out of jail. I think they've really nailed the boldness piece. Have you ever in all your life, and I'm talking to myself here too, ever prayed for boldness? Are we even allowed to pray for boldness in 2023? Like, doesn't boldness rub people the wrong way? Like, isn't that why so many people are turned off by Christianity, by churches today? Maybe you haven't prayed for boldness, but they did. They're, they're, gonna, they're getting these threats, and it's only going to get worse, but they weren't going to tone it down when they faced these threats Notice, they didn't ask the Lord to remove the threats and those things that made it uncomfortable. No, these Christians, this church prayed for boldness and not weirdness. They didn't, they didn't pray for arrogance or pride. They weren't talking about the permission to go up and blow up social media with stupid messages and sayings like we could... 
I mean, we could talk about all the different ways, a whole bunch of ways Christians and churches have caused some great harm to the message of Jesus in the name of something like boldness. But what kind of boldness are they talking about? What I'm saying is that I think what they're praying, we, what if we got really, really bold about the things that really matter? In fact, what if we took all of the boldness that we typically express in regards to our, our political candidates and our, our dietary opinions and our opinions about parenting and schools or sports or whatever we get passionate about, and what if we channeled some of that boldness and enthusiasm and put it behind sharing and living out the life and the message of Jesus. I'm talking about boldness as in courage, boldness as in eagerness, boldness as in passion and love, boldness as is Jesus is coming back and it could be today and it could be tomorrow or it could be later this week. Like, do you know why the message of Jesus has made it to 2023? It's the Holy Spirit working through men and women and students, these first century Christians who prayed and lived out boldness. We don't even think about it but that's the first thing they prayed for when they were in trouble. They prayed, God, enable us to be bold for your name and with your message. And then they continued in verse 30 and prayed and asked the Lord, would you stretch out your hand to heal and perform signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant, Jesus? They wanted to see the good news of Jesus spread, the name of Jesus be glorified. They were ready for God to change the world, to flip the world upside down. It's something that we might call a revival today. They wouldn't have called it back then because the gospel was coming to this place for the first time, but we might call it revival and when you hear that word, it might draw some attention to something you've maybe seen in the news, you've witnessed these past couple of weeks uh, surrounding what's happened at Asbury University in Kentucky. Um, and the details go that what started out as a chapel service on campus with a few students turned into this uh, large gathering where many people have said that God's Holy Spirit is moving and changing lives. And, and over a couple of week period, which has since died down, the, the crowds came from outside of the college, from many different places and communities, so much that it was just becoming difficult even to operate around this college campus and in this community. And, and some people have been so amazed by it all and commented on the move of God. And then at the same time, and if you've read some of the literature around it, others have questioned it, wondering whether theology is sound enough to be called a revival. But whatever your opinion might be, I love what Asbury professor Craig Keener has said about it all. He, he was commented as saying something of this, but like, why do we feel the need to make a judgment call about it or put a label on it? He says, revival or not, Something amazing, something special has happened and is taking place here, and God is responsible for it. And he went on to point out that Hughes Auditorium, which is pictured here, felt like a holy place these past couple of weeks. But then he reminds us, and I remind you today, and we see this in the book of Acts, that God's people are his temple. Jesus changed all of that. And so whatever places we might turn to or look to to be special to us, well, in Jesus Christ, you are now his most sacred space, which means we don't have to be near a campus to welcome and to honor and to invite God's presence to do even more because as Christians, we are his temple.
as a follower of Jesus Christ, you are his vessel. You are the hands and the feet and the voice of Jesus. And that's exactly what we're gonna see taking place these next few weeks and in months to come through the book of Acts. The authorities, the teachers of the law are gonna have their power structures, their belief systems all shaken up through the Holy Spirit and the gospel message, the good news of Jesus Christ. And both of those are available to us today. That's what we want. We're praying. I want to invite you to pray with us that the message of Jesus would spread really like wildfire. It's why we're praying what we're calling our everyday prayer. You can find it out on the uh, handout card that gives you the reading plan through the book of Acts. But it's a prayer that just simply goes like this. Father in heaven, thank you for saving me. I want you to do for others what you've done for me. Use me today to help others know you. Can you imagine what the Lord might do through your life if you prayed this faithfully with full surrender each and every day? Can you imagine what he might do through our church family if every single one of us would faithfully and humbly and sincerely and willingly pray, Father in heaven, thank you for dying and saving me. I want you to do for others what you've done through me. Use me, your temple. My life belongs to you. Have your way in me as you did through Peter and John, as you did in Jesus. Let's pray. Father, this is our prayer today, that you would use each of us, that you would use me however you choose. My life is yours. I belong to you. We are here for you, God. Have your way in our lives. And use us that we might know you, that we might know Jesus Christ in deeper ways. But would you use us that others might find their way back to you? We praise you. We thank you. And we thank you for the message, the most important message of all that Jesus made a way and that in him we may have life and have it to the full. And Father, I want to pray for that someone here today that has never trusted you as Lord and Savior, that today might be the day that they reach out and trust you. Your word says, if anyone is in Christ, they are a new creation. The old is gone, the new is here. For someone here today, I'm here to tell you that the new is here that Jesus is here, that he is available to you. And if we confess with our mouths that Jesus is Lord and believe in our hearts that God raised him from the dead, the promise is that we will, that you will be saved. Respond to Jesus today. Don't hold him back. He's ready to change your life. Father, we thank you and praise you. It's in your name we pray, amen.